Welcome back to the Unschool Files podcast, y'all. You are listening to episode 40. I'm your host, Megan, and if you are new here to the podcast, to the Unschool Files community, welcome. I'm so glad that you are here. I am a parent and a podcaster, community organizer, and zine curator within the unschooling and self-directed education movement. My unschoolers are 12, 14, and 17. We have been living a roller coaster of a life without school since we removed our oldest from school in third grade and have focused on our relationships with one another and living a life of partnership. We move around quite a lot. We are currently living in Europe where we have a home base for uh, living and traveling and learning through culture and cuisine and lots of missteps within our tiny community of practice, which is our family. I'd like to invite you to join me in community virtually over on Discord, where you can connect with me and so many other unschooling facilitators, parents, and caregivers all around the world. There are lots of opportunities there to find support, uh, join virtual events and discussions, and make friends. This episode is the first of a curated series on self-directed education and community care. I'm going to be sharing some discussions with folks within the SDE movement who are educators, parents, facilitators, students, staff in co-ops and centers and other alternative programs within SDE with a focus on how those spaces are uniquely meeting the needs of the communities that they serve. So this series is gonna be all about stepping out of theory and into practice. The first episode of the series is a little different than my typical discussions. I took this discussion and broke it up into two parts. Um, I asked Alexander Coast, the founder of Flying Squads, the co-editor of Tipping Points Magazine and youth rights advocate to come on for both a reading of his thought-provoking article that he wrote called education is a political act. And I asked him on because, well, we're friends and we've had some really, really great conversations. And he's been on my list of folks that I've wanted to carve out time to connect with for the podcast, because I think that our talks could be so helpful to others, but also to offer up an accessible way to take in this article and really think about it as we journey through these episodes and think about how what we do and say, or what we don't do and don't say is in fact a political act. The article is entitled Self-Directed Education is a Political Act, a look at the various current definitions of freedom and self-directed education, their historic roots, and their correlation to political ideologies. The front page of the 1999 course calendar from the Anarchist Free Space and Free School of Toronto stated, quote, education is a political act by deepening our knowledge of ourselves and the world around us, sharing skills and exchanging experiences in an egalitarian, non-hierarchical setting, free of prejudice, we challenge disempowering habits and broaden our awareness of alternatives to the inequalities of capitalist society. After reading those lines for the first time years ago, I began to rethink my own work with young people and the self-directed space we were in and I slowly came to the realization that I was not an educator, but rather a youth rights advocate. The great significance of this discernment and how it has reshaped the work I do with young people is still a surprise to me and may be of use to others. 
as I noticed is true for many of us who have stumbled into self-directed education one way or another, my intention from the start was not necessarily to change the world or to challenge the politics of society. I was merely unhappy with my own public school upbringing and did not want the same or any of the available alternatives for my own children as the children I was working with or the children I was working with in schools. After opening a democratic free school and later watching my children self-direct their own education, I began to understand that my actions were not only educationally radical, but also politically so. To be clear, I'm talking about political ideology, which Wikipedia defines as, quote, a certain, a certain set of ethical ideas, ideals, principles, doctrines, myths, or symbols of a social movement, institution, class, or a large group that explains how society should work and offers some political and cultural blueprint for a certain social order. A political ideology largely concerns itself with how to allocate power and to what ends it should be used. Political ideologies have two dimensions. One, goals, how society should be organized, and two, methods, the most appropriate way to achieve that, this goal. I initially discovered and understood that conventional compulsory US schooling was molded into what it has become by rich philanthropists looking for personal, political, and financial gain. In part, I understood this by reading John Taylor Gatto's An Underground History of American Education. He writes, quote, forced schooling arose from the new logic of the industrial age, the logic imposed on flesh and blood by fossil fuel and high-speed machinery. After the Civil War, utopian speculative analysis regarding isolation of children in custodial compounds where they could be subjected to deliberate molding routines began to be discussed seriously by the Northeast policy elites of business, government, and university life. These discussions were inspired by a growing realization that the productive potential of machinery dri driven by coal was limitless. Forced school was the medicine to bring the whole con continental population into conformity with these plans so that it might be regarded as human resource and managed as a workforce. Since my article concerns the politics of self-directed education specifically, I will not continue to elaborate on the politics of conventional education, but will instead discuss the politics of trust-based self-directed education. An overview of the history of politics in SDE. I feel it necessary to look back at the roots of where self-directed education came from in order to be able to understand, discuss, and practice current methodologies. Much of this history I've discussed in my prior writing in Tipping Points, and so I will try to just briefly touch upon the important points here. By far, the largest SDE movement in the United States was the free school movement of the 1960s and 70s, initially inspired by the 1960 release of A.S. Neal's book, Summerhill, A Radical Approach to Child Rearing. Neal himself refused to admit that Summerhill was political or to involve the school in any political propaganda. Quote, the ideal is no propaganda in the school. Many socialists and communist teachers would not subscribe to this. I am all for a war cry of no propaganda of any kind, end quote. Regardless, the school has still been treated as a threat by the UK Office of Standards and Education and within the politically motivated hippie counterculture movement, it directly inspired over 600 schools to open across the US in under a decade. Most US free schools also closed their doors in that same decade, not able to outlast the 1980s shift toward conservatism. 
one of the schools that survived, of course, was the Sudbury Valley School in Framingham, Massachusetts, which also drew its influence from Neil, but decided to overhaul the methodology of how self-directed education is practiced. And of course, Sudbury Valley itself went on to inspire many more SDE schools and centers. The modern schools were inspired by perhaps the most politicized SDE school principal in history, Francisco Freire y Guardia, who opened the first Escuela Moderna modern school in Barcelona in 1901. Within a few years, over 40 more modern schools in Barcelona and the surrounding area opened with many more using Freire schools and books as a model. In 1909, Freire was falsely accused without trial by the Spanish government of leading an anti-military uprising to assassinate the king and was ex executed by firing squad. More on the history of modern schools can be found here on the Tipping Points website. Elizabeth Firm and her husband, Alexis, opened the Children's Playhouse in a blue collar neighborhood of New Rochelle, New York in 1898. The school moved into Brooklyn in 1901 and eventually found its way to downtown Manhattan. They struggled to keep the school running for working class families and due to lack of funds, eventually co closed in 1913. The couple later moved to and ran the Stelton Modern School in New Jersey, an anarchist colony and school. To date, the modern school movement was the second largest SDE movement in the United States with anarchist schools springing up all over the United States and abroad over approximately 10 years. Stelton was the longest running of the school surviving until the end of World War II. The educational model has been all but forgotten in part because of the movement's radical anarchist beliefs beliefs made it a target through the second Red Scare. Others started their work in self-directed education as a political act against the state, or at least were accused of such. For example, Leo Tolstoy's short-lived Yasana Polyana, an SDE peasant school, opened in 1960 in Tula Oblast, Russia. Tolstoy, a self-proclaimed anarchist, was suspected of being a revolutionary. His school and home were raided, and Yasana Polyana was closed two years after it had opened. Frederick Froebel, the famous inventor of the kindergarten, also ran into political trouble when he found his schools banned in Prussia for, quote, undermining traditional values by spreading atheism and socialism. Froebel's model of blending play and socialization had a great influence on many, including Elizabeth Firm and also the American transcendentalists, A. Branson Alcott and Elizabeth Palmer Peabody, who opened the Temple, Temple School, the first SDE school in Boston in 1834. Interestingly, Peabody later went on to open the first kindergarten in the United States. The civil rights movement gave rise to Charles Cobb's Freedom Schools, the first of which opened in 1964. The schools were a reaction to the inequity and continued segregation of blacks and whites in public schools in the United States, despite the Supreme Court having declared this unconstitutional 10 years earlier in Brown versus the Board of Education. The program, quote, was designed to prepare disenfranchised African-Americans to become active political actors on their own behalf. And as a part of the, quote, long struggle for more for freedom, voting rights and quality education in the United States, more on the history of racial justice and self-directed education can also be found on the Tipping Points website. It is from these roots that the current models of self-directed education grew. Notice how even this brief history of SDE prominently features socialists, anarchists, and libertarians, all outcasts of the state and conventional society. Although SDE truly has 
apolitical roots in hunter and gatherer societies. Once the industrial era arrived and governments around the world began enforcing compulsory education, self-directed education took on a new sig significance as a political response. The politics of SDE today. It took me years and years to begin to understand the differences in practice of SDE models, their significance and their relations to one another. These models can broadly be grouped into three categories that to some extent have corresponding political ideologies. Freedom with a focus on autonomy. For some who are practicing self-directed education, the definition of freedom starts and ends with, the, with individual autonomy. While group cooperation may be necessary to achieve this, the end goal is preserving the individual's freedom. This corresponds to the political ideologies of libertarianism, which is defined as seeking, quote, to maximize political freedom and autonomy, emphasizing freedom of choice, voluntary association, and individual judgment. With regard to SDE, this means prioritizing the individual's needs within a community. In this method, the individual lives and learns by themselves until they seek out others or come into conflict, which should then be resolved in a manner that most closely aligns with the individual's interests. Freedom with a focus on community. For others, emancipation starts with cooperation and the emphasis is not at all on the individual, but on communal equity. Freedom is collectively built and maintained. This corresponds well with the ideologies of socialism defined as quote, doctrine, that calls for public rather than private ownership or control of property and natural resources. According to the socialist view, individuals do not live or work in isolation, but live in cooperation with one another. With regard to SDE, this means prioritizing cooperation and communal sense of belonging, aiming to create equity and harmony through which the individual can then find their own independence. Autonomy through mutual aid. And for others, freedom starts with the individual as the individual can only be free when all others are also not oppressed. This emph the emphasis here is on the individual continuously striving towards their own freedom while supporting other community members in their own liberation efforts. The aim is equity, keeping freedom in balance. This fits well into the ideology of anarchism, which is explained as, quote, a process whereby authority and domination is being replaced with non-hierarchical horizontal structures with voluntary associations between human beings. With regard to SDE, this means prioritizing a voluntary collective of free individuals who have agreed to have concern for one another to ensure their equity and self-determination. Practitioners across all three categories share trust in the individual and the ultimate goal of liberation. What sets them apart are the methodologies toward achieving that goal and what the liberation actually means to them. While my hope is truly that differing philosophies can find ways to align, I believe that it is also, also extremely important to understand and communicate clearly the differences in where we're coming from and what we practice. Having clarity over the differing definitions of freedom and the ability to communicate clearly about such things can only help forge stronger bonds within our alliance. With that said, I created the following diagram as a visual aid to help understand the many various SDE methods at work, how they generally are similar and different, how their sense of freedom is ideologically politicized, and how they are uh, are allied as trust-based models in contrast with fear-based counterparts in the top section of the diagram. 
this diagram seeks not to pigeonhole any one model into a political ideology, but rather to provide a broad understanding of where each model lies on a spectrum of definitions and methodologies of freedom and education as a political act. I'll describe the diagram quickly. At the, it's separated into a top and bottom part. The top part is fear-based models and they're listed as conservatism, moderatism and liberalism, liberalism, conservatism and moderatism share uh, in similarity authoritarian and moderatism and liberalism share in uh, permissiveness. Uh, listed in order from conservative to liberal in the fear-based model are these school models, military schools, preparatory, preparatory schools, charter schools, public schools, Montessori schools, Waldorf schools, progressive schools, democratic schools. In the bottom half of the diagram are trust-based models. Those are libertarianism, anarchism, and socialism. Libertarianism and anarchism share autonomy. Anarchism and socialism share mutual aid. The school methodologies listed beneath those are Sudbury schools, self-governed unschoolers, liberated learners, agile learning centers, free schools, modern schools, decolonizing unschoolers, Summerhill, free schools, communal, communal unschoolers. Since freedom is rooted and established in trust, the act of stripping away that freedom starts with fear and control. Therefore, I have sim simply distinguished these two overarching philosophies into fear-based and trust-based categories. The fear-based models of education are out of scope for this article. For more on that, start with the excellent article listed in uh, linked in the article. However, I want to briefly touch upon why democratic schools are listed under this category. Note that free schools are listed under the trust-based model. While most free schools are also democratic, it is possible to have democratic decision-making in a fear-based school, e.g. vote on whether we're studying the Nile or the pyramids first. This distinction is not always clear and earlier in my research caused me a lot of a confusion, especially in my travels to Europe where I learned that visiting a democratic school did not necessarily mean I could expect the school to be self-directed as well. It is also important to note that often, but not always, this did not mean the educators were not interested in SDE. Rather, they were often working constrained by laws that make SDE illegal in countries like Greece, Turkey, and Germany. Meanwhile, in the United States, the adoption of democratic education within conventional schools can also be seen in classroom meeting trends and in the work of organizations like the Institute for Democratic Education in America. On the trust-based side of the diagram, most notable might be that I have placed unschooling under all three political ideologies. Unschooling is certainly the most difficult SDE methodology to pin down since it is practiced for so many different reasons and in so many different ways. I broke it down into three general subgroups. One, self-governed unschoolers under the libertarian label are generally those unschoolers looking for independence from institutionalization. These are families who are focused on the liberation of learners. While they might be a part of some collective or taking classes in various places, ultimately their focus is their own freedom in learning, not the welfare of any collective or group that may they may temporarily be a part of. Two, decolonizing unschoolers is best described by Zakia Ismail, who simply wrote, 
it is, quote, it is about stepping out of the oppressive system and into a liberatory one. For these unschoolers, this is not just about independence of one's own learning. It is also about dismantling the oppressive system of conventional schooling in order to create an equitable world. And so this model fits well under the anarchism label. Three, communal unschoolers is admittedly a term I made up for clarification and distinction in this diagram. However, this is a very real type of unschooling, a type that I run across often in my work with unschoolers. Communal unschoolers are families who unschool as a collective in order to make it possible to do so for each individual family. There's a reliance on each other and a buy-in in order for each learner to be able to unschool. Therefore, this model best fits under the label of socialism. As for school, schools and centers, I've placed Sudbury schools and liberated learners under the libertarian umbrella. Liberated learners are listed here for the same previously mentioned reason that self-governed unschools are in this category. And while Sudbury schools are communities, their standard of no adult offerings and policy of barring parent involvement align with the notion of learning based primarily on the individual's needs. Their school meeting and judicial committee structures reflect the libertarian idea that government governance is necessary, but should be made as small as is necessary to maintain autonomy. I've listed free schools in Summerhill on the other end of the spectrum under the socialist label. While individual freedom is certainly valued highly in these schools, Summerhill and free schools generally emphasize being a collective reliant on communal equity. In contrast to Sudbury schools, these schools generally have communal offerings or classes in the case of Summerhill and often rely on parent involvement in the community or adult house parents and older youth Bettys who foster a sense of family at Summerhill, which is a boarding school. There's a real sense that a culture needs to be developed for a healthy learning atmosphere to thrive, much like the 19th century SDE Swiss educational reformer Johann Pestalozzi's premise that an, quote, emotionally secure environment needs to be present for, quote, successful learning to take place. Judith Suisa compares Summerhill to the third category listed in the diagram, anarchism, when she writes, quote, what Neil was really after was an appreciation of freedom for its own sake, a far cry from the social anarchists who viewed freedom as an inherent aspect of creating a society based on mutual aid, socioeconomic equality, and cooperation. From this reasoning, I have placed in the anarchistic category agile learning centers, as well as the more obvious free schools with a K, and modern schools which directly declare, declared themselves anarchistic. Agile learning centers were a direct reaction to the free school model, rooting and reframing free school practices for meeting, meetings, conflict resolution, and so on. These consent-driven structures and non-hierarchical systems align with anarchist ideologies. Additionally, the ALC network's intentional dedication to social justice and equity separate it from the other SDE models and also fall under the definition of anarchistic values. With all of this said, it is important to remember that each individual in each center is different and that such diagrams are only useful as a general guide to understanding the methodologies. At the, time, at the same time, this comparison of SDE models to political ideologies is also an important reminder that while one does not need to support radical politi politics to believe in SDE, 
a young person practicing self-directed education will experience radical freedom and trust-based ideologies. And those experiences will influence the development of their framing of the world. The same is also true of children being raised in conventional fear-based environments, different as the politically ideological implications may themselves be. Articulating these SDE models, model differences while holding as foundational their trust-based alliance is a practice intended to establish a greater bond. With this understanding, all of us in this world of self-directed education can learn more from one another. During this time period where part partisanship is dividing humanity so severely, it is important to remember our similarities and to remember that all individuals regardless of political beliefs or educational beliefs or any other beliefs that diversify humanity, all deserve to be approached with respect and kindness. I am proud to be in alliance with other members of this trust-based self-directed education movement, and I celebrate our many flavors and methods. Thanks so much to Alex Coast for taking the time to read this entire article and provide an accessible version to the community and to give us all something to sit with and think about and kind of chew on as we take a ride through these next discussions in this series around community care and how we are meeting the moment and serving the communities that we are in in the unique ways that they need to be served. I'm so excited to share part two. Uh, episode two of season two is going to be the discussion that Alex and I had after he read this, where we reflect a little bit on the article and have just an organic conversation. Before I let you go, please do take a moment to head over to theunschoolfiles.com. That's where you will find all of the things plugged in. Um, you can join the Discord server, become a patron, find all kinds of other links and goodies there. Until next time, stay kind to each other. Mm -hmm.